I think the most fun that I've ever had in sports, uh, probably the best team that I was ever a part of was my sixth grade basketball team. And um, we had this amazing coach. Uh, don't know if you played sports, maybe you had a coach like this growing up. He, he just, he knew the game so well, knew the X's and O's. And he cared about us as players. And he wanted us to win. I was thinking about my sixth grade basketball coach, Tommy Futrell, and what I loved about him is he loved the game of basketball. And so he built this full-size outdoor basketball court in his backyard. And, and every Sunday night after church, he would invite like our whole team over to just come and play. And he would just sit up there in, in his chair and he would encourage us when we made good plays. And he would coach us when we messed up. And, and it was like this for my entire sixth grade year that, that he, he poured his heart and his soul into teaching us the game of basketball and to letting us know that he cared about us. What I realized this week as I was looking at this text in Mark chapter nine, that so many of the things that my coach in sixth grade taught me were the same things that Jesus is trying to, to teach his disciples in Mark chapter nine. You know, whether he knew this or not, what he was teaching us was that basketball is a team sport. And that as a team, we were in this together. That what we did, what we did not do, affected other people on the team. Whether we knew it or not, whether we acknowledged it or not. So he taught us this in a couple different ways. At the end of every practice, he would do this where he would send us all to the baseline and we'd all be lined up and he would call one of the players from our team to go to the free throw line. And, and what this meant is if he hit his free throw, we didn't have to condition, we didn't have to run. But if he missed, we had to run. And of course, he always picked the worst free throw shooter to, to stand at the line. And of course, he always missed it. And we always hated that guy. But he was teaching us that, that when one person missed, like we all missed. When one person hit, we, we celebrated and we thought and we thanked them and we were in this together. He taught us this in the way that we viewed practice and so sometimes people would skip practice and there were always consequences for this. If you skip practice, you didn't play. Which affected us as a team. It's like if our best player was selfish, skip practice, and we were all affected by it. And, and, and he just kind of had this way of teaching us that, that we were in this together. Where we are in the story, Mark chapter nine, it's the second half of the conversation that we started last week. Aaron was up here preaching last week and the story, the context of where he was, it's, I want you just to imagine your living room. I want you to imagine the couch and the recliner and the armchair. If you're a poor college student, the floor. I just want you to imagine your, your living room and, and Jesus is sitting in this place with his disciples. He's teaching them, taking them into a deeper understanding of what it really means to be a Christian, a disciple of Christ. The big idea of the text that we're going to be in this morning as he continues that conversation is the thing that he wants us to understand is that, that you and I, we are in this together. That as disciples of Jesus, we are in this together. That at the core of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is that it is a communal pursuit. And what you do and what you don't do and what I do and what I don't do actually affects the person sitting right next to you, the person sitting across the room for you. It actually affects other Christians all around the world. 
And so I want to read our text this morning. We're going to kind of unpack it as we move through this. But I want you just to keep that in your mind, that, that as a disciple of Jesus, we're in this together. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 42. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. This is the words of Jesus. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Verse 49, everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. This is the word of God from Mark chapter nine. If you remember from last week, Jesus is sitting in the living room and he's reshaping the disciples, thinking about what it means to be a disciple what it means to live a great life in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, if you remember, he takes this little child and he pulls him in the middle of the living room and he says, guys, if, if you wanna be great in the kingdom of God, if you wanna be great in the eyes of God, then I want you to love and I want you to serve and I want you to value people like this child, people that are overlooked in our world. And Jesus still has this child. He continues his object lessons and he says some really hard things here, right? Let's nod our heads. Is this hard stuff? If it's not, you come teach. I'd love to listen. Like Andrew Smith, the campus pastor over at Marathon, he's teaching over there this week, and he and I were just kind of working on this. And we were just kind of talking. I said, man, have you ever preached on this text before? He's like, no way. And I'm like, me neither. And I was thinking about this text. You know, I've read this before a lot of times, just in reading through the scriptures. Like, But I've always just kind of overlooked it, like... I'm like, I really like my hands. I'm not going to cut them off. I'm like, I really like the ability to see. I'm not going to plug my eyes out. And, and we, we read this and let's just say it. It's weird. And it sounds a little cultish, right? Sounds scary. And yet, as I've been reading in this story this week, I'm convinced that although Jesus says some hard things, they are life-giving. They are for our good. They're meant to help us step more fully into the life of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so I want to walk through this text, just kind of verse by verse together. So let's look in verse 42. Jesus says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. And so the first thing that I, I want us to think about, the first kind of movement in this text is that as disciples of Jesus, what we do affects others. That as disciples of Jesus, what we do affects others. In this verse, Jesus says, man, if you, if you cause a follower of mine to stumble, if you cause a follower of mine to sin, it would be better for you if a huge rope were tied around your neck and that rope were tied to a huge rock and it was dropped in the Cumberland River. It's like, that's some harsh words, Jesus. You know, I don't think Jesus tells us this to condemn us. You know, 
we're all guilty of this. Whether we know it or not, we've all done this. We've all said things and done things that have made other people stumble and sin. And I don't think Jesus says this to point out our fate, okay? I think he's wanting us to understand that as disciples of Jesus, that everything we do matters all the time. That being a disciple of Jesus isn't something we do as a hobby. And it's not part of who we are. We don't devote 50% of our life to being a disciple. No, it's, it's who we are all the time. Being a disciple is more like breathing than it is brushing your teeth. It's constant. It's never ceasing. I read over this verse before, and I think the thing that I've always taken away from this verse is I've always read it as a victim. I thought, man, who are the people who have made me stumble? Or I think about other people, and I'm like, man, who are the people that I know of that are making other people stumble? And I'm not proud of that. I'm just trying to, to be honest with you, like kind of let you know the way I've come to this text before. But this week, as I was reading it, um, the Holy Spirit of God was just like turning it around on me. It's like, you know, I spent my whole life like pointing one finger, and it's like that moment where God was like pointing the three fingers back at me. And it's kind of like he was asking me, Brandon, what are the things that you are doing that are causing others to stumble? You see, God was inviting me to evaluate, to think about how my whole life, is it really devoted to becoming like Jesus? Am I really following him? Or are there times that I'm checking out, taking off? And the question that he wants us to wrestle with this morning is, Are you a, a different person when no one else is around? Are you a different person when you leave here on Sunday? Are you a different person on Friday and Saturday night? You see, he's asking us to, to evaluate and to look deep into our lives and to see the ugly stuff. Man, are there times in our lives when we're checking out of being disciples of Jesus? Are there times when we're causing other people to sin? You see, I believe because Jesus loves us. I don't just believe that. I know that's true because he loves us. Because he knows that a fully discipled life, a life that is fully yielded to the person and the purposes of Jesus Christ, he knows that that's the best way to live. He invites us to evaluate. He invites us to ask ourselves that hard question. Are we doing things to make other people stumble? You see, Jesus wants us to understand that we're in this together as disciples. That the things that we do actually affect others around us. Let me just let you in on my life a little bit. My mom, she and I are, are wired very similarly. Maybe you have someone like this in your family that um, you kind of grow up and you go, oh yeah, all those things that I dislike about my mom are in me. And <laughs> all those things that I love about them, they're in me. And, and what I've realized is that um, I really know how to push my mom's buttons. Like you have that person in your life where like, you just know what to say to get under their skin. You just know what to say to, to hurt them. You just know what to say to just take that dagger and put it in their heart. And, and I've realized that kind of over my life, I kind of have that, not power, but that influence in my mom's life. There'll be so many times where we're having an argument or a conversation, whatever you want to call it, and um, she'll say something and it makes me mad. And instead of taking the high road, man, I take that low road and push her towards ungodly anger. 
think that there have been times in my life, and I know there are, when I've said things and I've done things for the sole purpose of making other people jealous. See, Jesus isn't wanting us to understand that, that what we do actually affects other people. Let's keep going. Verse 43. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands going to hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. And so this is just a, a heavy passage, right? Second kind of movement I want us to think about as, as disciples of Jesus, we don't just understand that what we do affects other people's. As disciples of Jesus, we must deal with our own darkness. As disciples of Jesus, we understand that what we do affects other people. As disciples of Jesus, we must deal with our own darkness. So Jesus knows, okay, that sin is destructive, that it hurts us. And Jesus knows that, that sin leads to death, a life apart from God, God who is loving and beautiful and strong and kind. And part of the journey of a disciple is growing in our understanding of this truth that, that as we grow in Christ's likeness, we start to see sin for what it is. That it destroys intimacy with God, both now and in the future. That sin both destroys intimacy with God now and in the future. And so in this passage, Jesus, Jesus, the son of God, the one who actually lived, he talks of sin and he talks of hell. And he talks of these things because he loves us. Too many people in our world, and maybe you've been hurt by someone like this. You come here this morning bearing great wounds, and I'm sorry if this is the case, if, if someone has said these words to you. Too many people throw these, this, these, this saying around in our culture. And they, You're going to hell. And it's like they're saying it with a smile on their face. It's like they enjoy that thought. And I go, that is not the way of Jesus. Hell is real. And Christ, in his deep love for us, speaks this to us. You go, Brandon, what do you mean in his love for us? You know, if, if Jesus didn't tell us what was on the other side of life, that wouldn't be loving. That wouldn't be fair. That would be just the opposite. That just because we might not like the reality of hell, it doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love us. It's the exact opposite. You see, in his love for us, he tells us the truth. Thinking about Finley, a little two and a half year old girl, full of life and joy. And one of the things that Finley loves to do, she loves to help us cook. And so anytime, uh, you know, course in the kitchen cooking or I'm making pancakes, like, 
Um, it's about all I got. And um, she wants to help us. And so we'll be cooking and she'll say, hey, I help, I help. I'm like, yeah, sure. So she'll go and get her little stool and she'll sit up there beside us. And cooking in her mind is different than cooking in our mind because, you know, in cooking in our mind, you put stuff in the mixing bowl. In her mind, you take stuff out and put it on the counters. And, and so she, she, she loves to cook with us. And one of the things that we tell her every time we get up on the stool, hey, hey, don't touch the stove. If there are pots and pans up on the stove, don't touch it. It's going to be hot. Like, don't ever touch it. Don't take the stool over there. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. We told her this a thousand times. And a, a month ago, what did she do? She touched it. You see, Court and I, we knew it was hot. We knew it would hurt. We knew it was going to keep hurting. We would have been unloving had we not told her. We told her. She did it anyway. I go, Christ loves us. And he speaks of hell and he speaks of sin because he loves us. Now I want to say this. This isn't in the Bible. This is just my thoughts. And so you can um, discard it if it's not true. I'm convinced that we'll never be the people God wants us to be if we're scared into the kingdom of God. If fear is a car that drives us into the kingdom. I'm convinced that we'll never be the people God wants us to be if we're scared into the kingdom of God. If fear of hell is the car that drives us into the kingdom. You see, this text, it's not some scare tactic. It's not some tool to make us scared. No, this text is Jesus wanting us to be as serious about our sin as he was, as he is. You see, if Jesus Christ knows that sin leads to death, he is only loving when he tells us to rid ourselves of it. Not just to avoid death. Not just to avoid hell. But so we can really live. You know, I didn't want Finley to touch the stove because I knew it would hurt her in the moment. I knew it would keep hurting. And I did not want her to hurt. I wanted her to be able to play with her toys and her baby dolls and Jones without having hurt places on her hands. And Jesus loves us. Jesus loves you so much. I don't care what you did. I don't care what you did last night. The love of God could not be stronger. The arrow pointed more towards your heart. And we know that because he came and he died for us. He died for our sin. He said, we don't live in fear that God is going to punish us. We don't live in fear that God is anxious to send us to hell like he somehow delights in that, like that person that told us we were going to hell. That is not the ways of Jesus. You see, the, the gospel story is that Jesus jumped on the ship that was carrying our sin and he let it sink him so that it wouldn't sink us. You see, Christ paid the price for for the entirety of our sin. He took away our sin. He took away its power so that we could really live. So that we could live in the kingdom of God now. So that we could start living, start experiencing now what we'll one day enjoy forever in heaven. You know there's gonna be no sin in heaven? Why? Because sin destroys, it separates, it ruins. And Christ is calling us out of those things on earth 
so we begin to taste eternal life right now. Jesus looks at us and he says, Brandon and Sam and Jonathan and Corey and Elliot, I want you to be as serious about your sin as I was, as I am. And how serious was Christ about our sin? He died for it. He gave up his life for it. And he calls us as his disciples to do the same. To take drastic measures to get rid of the sin in our lives. If it means getting rid of the things that we enjoy, things that we think that we need, if they're causing us to stumble, if they're causing us to sin, Jesus says, part ways. Our tendency so often, though, is, is to string sin along in our lives. It's like that girlfriend, you know that she's not good for you, so you broke up with her. But you text her every once in a while just to keep the door open. And we do this with our sin, too. Colossians chapter three, Paul looks at it and he says, man, put to death. Jesus in Mark chapter nine says, cut it off. And we go, nah, I'll address it. I'll admit that I have a problem, but I'm not gonna fully get rid of it. We might not say it like that, but our actions say that. Jesus looks at us and he says, my people, people that I died for, people that I'm ready to, to, to save you and sanctify you, people that I'm anxiously waiting, preparing a place for you in heaven, the people that I, I adore, take drastic measures to get rid of the things in our lives that are causing us to stumble, that are robbing us of intimacy now, that will rob us of intimacy in the future. So what does this look like? Guys, if every time you're hanging out with your girlfriend or your fiance and you're at their apartment and it gets late and every time that situation happens, you, you mess around and you go too far. If every time you're, you're getting ready on a Friday night or a Saturday night or a Monday morning, and you put on clothes that will draw people's attention to your body instead of your inner qualities of Christ-likeness? If every time you have a drink, you can't stop? If every time you go on a business trip and, and you, you, you know that lust is an issue and you have your computer and your phone with you? If every time you hang out with your friends, you gossip? If every time you're working out, you're looking at yourself in the mirror, for teaching our kids to trust in money, for teaching them that their worth is in what they do or in how they perform, I go, what does it look like for us to address the real darkness in our lives? What does it look like for us to take drastic measures to get rid of the things that are robbing us from what life is supposed to be like in the kingdom of God right now as a disciple of Jesus? And I don't think it means withdrawal. 
I don't think it means withdrawal. We've done this too long. We've been Christian hermits for way too long. Notice that Jesus doesn't say the problem is someone else. The issue is in you, it's in me. The issue is not someone else's eyes, someone else's feet. Whose issue is it? It's our eyes, our feet, our hands. We are the issue. And I just want to, I want you to invite you to think about this for a minute. Don't think about someone else. So often the conviction of God comes into our lives to, to move us into places of repentance and grace and love. And so often it's easy to, to, to when God is working on us, it's just hard to sit on that. And so we deflect and we start thinking about someone else who's, who's doing this. And I go, man, let the weight of the goodness and the grace of God point out the places in your life that are robbing you of intimacy with God right now. Are we as serious about our sin as Jesus is? Verse 49, we're gonna spend like six seconds here. Jesus says, everyone will be salted with fire. I'll preach a whole sermon there, but I'm gonna give you one sentence. We are all gonna face things in life that will tempt us. Every one of us is gonna be salted with fire. We're all gonna face things that are gonna tempt us. It's part of the human experience. Verse 50, this is what we'll end today. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. The third kind of movement, the final thing I want us to think about this morning is as disciples of Jesus, be salt. As disciples of Jesus, we understand that what we do affects others. As disciples of Jesus, let's, let's be serious about dealing with our darkness. And the third point, as disciples of Jesus, let's, let's be salt. And you go, what in the heck does that mean, Brandon? Like, salt um, was a preserver and an enhancer. So in a world without refrigerators, salt is what preserved their food. Salt is what kept it from going bad. Salt was also put on foods, though, to bring out the best qualities in the foods, to enhance the food. And I love what Jesus says here. He says, have salt among yourselves. And I'm sure that they were just as puzzled by the statement as we are when we first hear it, but the more we think about it, the more beautiful it is. You see, as disciples of Jesus, what we do affects others. As disciples of Jesus, we're called to deal with our darkness, but it's not just being aware of how we're affecting others, and it's not just about the hard process of dealing with our stuff. Jesus says, guys, as my disciples, I want you to preserve each other. I want you to bring out the best in each other. I want you to hold up the qualities and the character that Christ is forming in each other. I love this because this is what Jesus does with us. This is what the Holy Spirit does in the life of a follower of God. That he encourages us. He, he speaks life into us. When, when we're walking with God, he affirms us. When we get off the path and we take our eyes off of God, he, he keeps us from going bad. He preserves us. And I love this because what Jesus does for us, what Jesus does for us, he tells us to do for each other. 
So I go, it's, it's, it's our job and it's our joy to preserve each other, to bring out the best qualities of Christ in each other. I go, it's my job to, with my buddy Stan to, to keep Stan from going bad. If we're in this together, it's, it's my job. It's your job to keep me from going bad. It's your job, it's your joy to, to when, when you see your friends stumbling, when you see them falling, when you see them uh, making terrible life choices that are separating them from God, ruining the intimacy that they're designed to have, going to them and going, man, hey, you're, you're better than that. I remember Court and I had been married for like two months, one of my good buddies. Um, graduated college, and for the next five months, his life just tailspin downward just running from God as fast as he could run. Hardened his heart, closed his eyes, moved to a different city. Like he could not have run from God more. He came back about six months later. He called me and he said, hey, will you come over tonight? It's like, yeah. So walking down to his house, into the basement, the room that he was staying in, he looked me in the eyes and he said, why didn't you come after me, Brandon? Like when I was, when I was wasting away, why did you do nothing? And the answer was because I was scared. Like, I was scared to confront him. It was easier for me to keep letting him make sinful choices than to have a hard conversation. It was easier for me to just let him do his own thing. You see, I didn't really believe that sin was that big of a deal. I didn't really believe that it corrupted and that it separated, and I know that because I did nothing. You see, Christ goes, guys, none of us are perfect. So Christ is up here and all of us are down here. Christ is the, the holy one, the righteous one, the one that did not sin, and every other one of us, we're on the other side of that. And he looks at us and he says, preserve each other. Don't kick each other and don't judge each other and don't gossip about each other. Preserve each other. And when you're in a good place with God, when you're walking in step with the Holy Spirit, don't be arrogant. And don't be a prick when, when people are stumbling from God. Go after them. This is what it means to be a disciple. It's not an individual pursuit. You're in this together. If one person misses a free throw, everyone misses a free throw. And we need tough skin. But what we really need is soft hearts. Hearts that actually care about people. Preserving each other. But it's not just about preserving. It's about enhancing. It's about coming alongside of our brothers and sisters that we love dearly and bringing out the best qualities of God in them. 
was talking to one of my friends on Thursday and she was telling me, she started to notice that, that every time her and one of her good friends got together, they just found themselves talking about other people. She said, so we decided to just intentionally start working on this together, that, that we just kind of coveted each other. Whenever we, whenever we come together and if we find ourselves talking about somebody, we're not gonna say something unless we're willing to say it to their face. And she was telling me that, I'm like, way to go. You're bringing out the, the qualities of Christ-likeness in each other. I think about my wife, and she does this so well. She'll send me a text on a Tuesday morning. She'll send me a text early on a Sunday morning. Hey, I'm praying for you. I know that, that you're getting ready to, to preach. I know that you're preparing. I know you've got a lot of stuff going on in your, 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 your life, your plate this week at work. just want you to know that I'm praying for you. And I go, wives, there's something about just our, our, our knowing that, that you're praying for your husband that just does something in our lives. There's just something about that that just preserves us, that, that makes us want to be the man of God that God has called us to be. Think about a conversation I had with Court a couple months ago. She just said, hey, I, I just, I see that like God's doing something in you. And just the fact that she said that was like so encouraging. I go, man, as, as we're walking through life together, Let's throw gas on that fire, what God's doing in each other's lives. When people that you love are growing in their Christ-likeness, man, pour gas on that fire. Think about my friends. So often, though, they'll pull me aside and they'll go, man, I see, I see God doing something in your life. He's growing you in this area. I notice this about you, and there's just something about that. And I go, man, this is what it means. This is what it means. To enhance, to bring out the best in each other. To preserve each other. And we can't do this by ourselves. And here's the good news. We're not supposed to. So what do we do with this? I know that we're all in different places in our spiritual journeys. That some here this morning, you're, you're not a follower of Jesus. And so all of this just sounds overwhelming. And, and I just want to invite you, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to just in first invite you to come into the living room. You remember we started Jesus sitting in the living room with these disciples? Like, I want to just invite you first to get to know Jesus. You, you know, what you, what you might not know is here in Mark chapter nine, these disciples had been following Jesus every day for about three years. That's about a thousand days that they had with Jesus. And some of you, this is the first time that you stepped foot in a church in 12 years. The first time that, that you've been willing to, to come to a place like this in 20 years. I just wanna invite you to do something very practically this week. If you don't have a Bible, take a Bible home. They're going to be on your way out on the left. They're at the communion table. I invite you to take a Bible home. Turn to page 699. I just want you to read Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 2. I just invite you to, to get to know Jesus. To see for yourself what he's like. That's your only homework if you're not a follower of Jesus. For those of you who are followers of Jesus... This is a heavy passage, isn't it? Hard stuff. Good news. Um, we're not the experts on ourselves. 
We don't know everything there is to know about us. And we're okay with that in every other sphere of life. So we go to the doctor for our health. We go to the dentist for our teeth. We go to the salon or the barbershop for our hair. We go to the gym to take care of our hearts. But, but what do we do with spiritual things? What do we do when our spiritual like connection, when our, our spiritual lives are just in a mess? We come to God. We come to our community. So in just a minute, we're going to take communion. and I invite you to maybe start this conversation in communion. And if you just need some time to just sit and process and, and think about Christ, you can do that. But I invite you sometime this week, I want to invite you to do two things if you're a follower of Jesus. The first thing is this. I want you to have the courage to ask yourself the question. Are there things that I'm doing that are causing others to stumble? Things that I'm doing that are robbing me of life in the kingdom of God right now? Are there things that I'm doing right now that are causing others to stumble? That are robbing me of life in the kingdom of God right now? And I invite you to really think about that this week. You know, some things are going to come to mind as I was reading through this this week. Like, there were some just natural things that just came to my mind immediately. Oh yeah, that is, that is something in my life that I need to repent of. There are going to be other things that are kind of deeper than the surface level, like just thinking. And so I invite you to, to end your prayer time, to, to pray what David prayed in Psalm 139. God, would you, would you search me? Would you see if there are any offensive ways about me? So I invite you to, to think, I invite you to, to press into God, and then I invite you, if you want to take one more step, and there might only be one other person in your life that you even love and trust enough to ask this question. I don't think this is a, a casual question to ask the person sitting beside you in communion. Maybe it is. But looking at someone that you really trust, someone that you really love, someone that you know loves and trusts you, and asking them, hey, are there patterns in my life things that I'm doing that are causing others to stumble now here's, here's the, the place that we need to, to understand I'm not asking you to, to ask someone to point out every single one of your sins we all have these things that we trip up in I'm asking them hey are there, are there patterns in my life that you see that are destroying intimacy with God causing others to stumble so the hard question that we're going to wrestle with this week, are there things that I'm doing causing others to stumble, things that are causing me to, to miss out on life in the kingdom of God right now? The second thing that I want to invite you to do this week is to ask yourself, will you choose to be salt this week? Will you choose to be salt this week? To preserve, to enhance. Will you, as a follower of Jesus, join me Join Jesus, join the Holy Spirit in being salt in a culture, in a world that so desperately needs it. I'm gonna pray for us and we'll be done.